podcast ain't played nobody my name is Stephen godfrey at 38 godfrey on instagram on twitter this is your papn sunday hurry up for the banner society it sounds a little different i am in an airport right now it's about three in the morning where i'm at i am coming back from a story i've been working on i will be in the air while richard does all of the recap stuff that's what you're about to hear i believe ryan is going to join him in my place poorly i might add um, they're going to talk about all of the things that they want to talk about from this Saturday's games. I'm going to run you through the recap real fast, so we're going to do that real quick because I'm in a very empty yet still very noisy airport, uh, so real fast. Um, here are your real playoff teams after, oh my gosh, week six? Yeah, that's uh, it's week six. Uh, your real-ass playoff teams are Clemson and Alabama. Obviously, they were on a bye. Georgia uh, won 43-14 over Tennessee. It was a very... Um, a sleepy game for Georgia, and then it was a total slow cooker Alabama type performance. Ohio State beat Michigan State thirty four to ten. Oklahoma breezed over Kansas forty five twenty after a weather delay, and LSU beat Utah State forty two to six. So those are your real ass playoff teams that has not changed pretty much since we created this format. Tier two, you have a number one in tier two, someone right on the cusp, and that would be obviously Florida. You can expect Richard and Ryan to talk a lot about Florida in just a second. Uh, they won in the Swamp 24-10 to against Auburn, who I still kept in Tier 2. Uh, right behind them is Wisconsin. They won 48 to nothing at home against Kent State. Uh, Penn State rolled 35-7 to over Purdue. They are in a machine-type way now, so they're kind of climbing up as well. I feel like they're keeping company with Wisconsin outside of Ohio State. Um, and then Notre Dame... 52 to nothing over Bowling Green. Texas won on the road at West Virginia, 42 to 31. And Oregon played a very Cal game and won a very Cal game against Cal, 17 to 7. Um, I don't know what to do with you. Uh, after tier two, these are the teams that I know are something. I just don't know what. I don't think that they're necessarily contenders, but they are very good. Uh, Minnesota, you are undefeated. I would like to say that again. Minnesota, you are undefeated. A 40-17 to win over Illinois. Guess who else is undefeated? Baylor. You're 5-0. and You beat K-State 31-12. to I, I, I don't know about either one of you guys, but you're undefeated, so it bears mentioning. Um, Iowa, you are not undefeated because you looked exceedingly Iowa. Uh, you had a very Iowa-type loss at Michigan. You know, like Oregon had a very Cal-type win against Cal. Same thing. Um, Arizona. Arizona's 4-1. and They lost in Week 0 to Hawaii. They haven't lost since. Four wins in a row. They beat Colorado. And then the teams from last week I didn't know what to do with. I'll still keep you here. Uh, It's Arizona State, Utah, and Virginia all on buys. Uh, Best of the G5. One could argue, before I throw it to the boys, one could argue that the AAC kind of stole the week because you have Cincinnati winning a huge game on Friday night against Central Florida at home uh, in Cincinnati. And then SMU, um, they're the number one on my G. There, there is actually no ranking of the best G5s. These are just the five G5s you should watch. Um, but what the hell, we'll give it number one because um, entertainment value matters more than anything else, especially in the group of five. And there was nothing more entertaining than SMU's comeback uh, in overtime against Tulsa. So SMU Cincinnati, Memphis is undefeated. They won again at ULM. ULM's pretty decent team so we'll mention that memphis you're building slowly 52 to 33 boise won 38 to 13 uh versus unlv they've got hawaii next week that's going to be a very big game uh tulane 42 to 33 a nice road win an army um then there's the rainbow warriors I already mentioned they were on a bye and app state was on a bye that's seven 
technically Hawaii and App State aren't on there, but I kind of want to mention them. So uh, with that, boys, I will throw it to you. We'll be back this week for a regular tasting menu as well as um, uh, an extra podcast, kind of at a to-be-determined date. We're going to figure out what we can talk about with SB206 and Cal. Uh, Love you guys. Hopefully I will be off the road the next time you hear me. Richard. Stephen Godfrey. Wait. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. By God, that's right. Nanny's moves music. By God. We are. Got full cast all on your walls now. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to full cast this at all. I'm too tired. We are live with Ryan Nanny. Not live, but we are Sunday morninging with Ryan Nanny. Ryan Nanny, you know how it is. 30 minutes on the clock. Let's go in three, two, one. Ryan, Michigan's offense. It's um not great still. The, but we were promised great changes. Yeah, it like Rutgers was supposed to be the get-right game, and it appears that Rutgers did not, in fact, get Michigan right. I like Michigan's defense played the fuck you man defense that they can do when they're firing on all, all cylinders. Iowa did not have the athletes to out athlete them and exploit that. Um, you know, Michigan's defense was hunting uh, in it with blitzes and and all that sort of stuff. Put on. This was also the game where Michigan got the bounces. Three yes. fumbles in this game. All of them went to Michigan. A bunch of inopportune penalties on Iowa's side of the like. This was the game where things went Michigan's way, and the final score is still what the final score is. Yeah, I. It's just for me with Michigan, honestly, and I could be off base here, but tell me this: Do you think Michigan does anything well on offense? Um, I think sometimes they run the ball well. I, I don't think they like have enough rhythm and consistency, but sometimes you see them get into a little bit of a mini rhythm within a game where you're like, okay, they know what they're doing running the ball. But then Shea Patterson will let a third and four pass. He'll leave, he'll leave it behind his receiver. He'll sail it. He'll make a bad read, whatever. Like they just, he, he does not have the ability to keep them rolling on offense so that when they do have some good things going he is like he's kind of the restrictor plate on them right now that's fair uh moving on to somebody else that can actually play offense in the big tannies do you want to talk about penn state um penn state i just feel like generally as a as a college football country we're not really talking about penn state at all and that's kind of weird considering they're undefeated they're pretty highly ranked at this point. Well, it's just because they haven't played anybody, or they haven't played. They haven't. They haven't played the they meeting haven't. schedule. But the but the teams they have played, they have largely, especially on the defensive side of the ball, just dismantled. And look, I know Purdue is beat up, and beating a this beat up Purdue team is not necessarily going to get you a lot of points in anybody's book. But in the first half on defense, they allowed they they limited Purdue to five of fifteen passing for seventy four yards. They had seven sacks. They only gave up one play of twenty plus yards. Purdue went two of ten on third down, and four of the seven Purdue drives in the first half gained zero or negative yardage. Like Penn State is, I would argue, as balanced a team on offense and defense as Wisconsin and Ohio State. They may not be as good. They may not be to the same level as Ohio State and and maybe Wisconsin. I think they're probably close to Wisconsin at least. But, like, look at the upcoming schedule before the Ohio State game. There is nobody who right now looks so comfortable on offense that this Penn State defense, based on what we've seen through the first month and a half, 
can't shut them down. Yeah. And I, I think they're just going to be a really interesting watch as they sort of quietly go about their business throughout throughout the first sort of half of the season. Iowa, Michigan, and Michigan State the next three games. For some reason, Penn State, Ohio State is the week before rivalry weekend. Not sure how that works out, but hey, the Lord provides. Uh, going to the left coast, Washington last night loses to Stanford. Um, I don't know. Like, look, we said on the Tasting Menu show that Stanford was going to have the same offensive line combination finally. Um, for consecutive weeks. It definitely served them well. Um, Cameron Scarlett ran for, I think, a buck 50, uh, last night on like 30 carries. They were fishing in the run game. Um, they had success on screens. Uh, they had the, the first touchdown early in the game, or at least I think in the first half was like a really bad blown coverage by Washington. Um, it didn't look good. I just, but on the offensive side, Washington, Jacob Eason, it was, Ugly on third downs, one of eight, 28 yards, took two sacks and threw a pick. I, you know, Washington loses 23 to 13. I, I don't think that they really looked within kind of reaching distance that whole time, except for, you know, a late almost rally that, that petered out. Do you know what the Pac 12 North standings look like oh, right now, at least in conference? Please regale me. So Oregon's at the top. They're undefeated. Sure. Um, they, they gutted things out with Cal. And right below them, the only other team in the North with only that's that's only got one division loss, Oregon State. <laughs> Oregon State yeah. winners of the first road Pac-12 game in five years last night at UCLA in the Rose Bowl. It will be a very hard. It, it would be very hard at this point for Oregon to not win the North. Doesn't mean they might find a way to do it, but it would be very very difficult. Nice division you got there. It'd be a shame if someone came by and ruined it, Oregon. <laughs> uh, Tulane, go for it. So I just want to talk about Tulane and the beauty of eating on first down because they averaged 8.5 yards a play on first down. If you take out some like clock burning kneel down, you know, drives uh, at the end of the game and in the first half and of the, of the 32 first down plays that they ran in this subset, 20 of them gained at least six yards. They ran for over six yards a carry against Army. Five different players had at least 40 yards uh, rushing. And this is an offense that, if you look back at S&P Plus over the years, 2015, 109th. 2016, 128th, last in the country. 2017, crept all the way up to 67th. 2018, 106th. Coming into this week, they were 51st. Tulane has figured something out on offense and it's a lot of fun to watch because it like third down conversions not that important if you're not getting to the third down as it turns out uh, alex atkins former offensive coordinator from tulane moved over to charlotte last year they brought in will hall who was at uh west georgia and west alabama not georgia and alabama west georgia and west alabama um tulane absolutely looks like they've taken another step forward on offense um Godfrey and I will get into this at some point, but uh, Willie Fritz, look for him to pop up somewhere not too lane next year. We'll give that a lot more context uh, on a future show. Um, Vanderbilt, awful. 31-6 to loss on the road against Ole Miss. 2 of 17 on... Th I don't even want to spend a lot of time here, but 2 of 17 on third down, 2.3 sack adjusted rushing yards, 3.6 yards per play. Vandy was absolutely punchless. I don't know if they've been in an FBS game all season. The points that they put up on LSU were largely garbage um, and cheap TDs. I, look, the, the James Franklin showed that it's not completely impossible to win, 
But I understand that what James Franklin showed had to do with a down Florida and a down Georgia in that division. Uh, Derek Mason has beaten Tennessee. And what else, Ryan? What else? Um, Not a lot. Not a lot. I mean, maybe maybe this year it's just sort of the mulligan year that he's going to get or whatever. But, but I, I don't know. I, like, apparently the yeah. new athletic director had a quick hook on the basketball coach. Right. Um, and Mason already had one foot-ish out the door uh, during the last year's coaching cycle interviewing uh, at at least Colorado. So, you know, like we've talked about maybe Stanford may open because David Shaw maybe moves on. And Derek Mason, I think, is the guy who you would – kind of pencil in maybe he gets a look at Stanford but after this I don't really know it's not confidence inspiring especially because this was I think this game was 10-6 at the half so it was like ugly but Vanderbilt was still in it and then they just came out totally flat in the third and fourth quarters uh speaking of coming out totally flat uh the Miami (laughs) the Miami Hurricanes (laughs) so briefly Miami has all the same exact problems the offensive line still can't do what it needs to do. And now they maybe have a QB controversy. Uh, Excuse me. In the first half of this game, Miami turned the ball over on its first four possessions. And the first three of those were Jaron Williams throwing picks that were basically all into coverage. The first one kind of gets tipped. It's still not a good pass in the first place. Um, Nikosi Perry did a much better job, I thought, Moving the defense with his eyes, finding holes in coverage. He still he still had a turnover of his own, I believe. But like overall, he looked much more comfortable running the offense. Was it six than, picks? Than Williams six did. picks in total for Miami. I think um, I think it was six turnovers. six turnovers. I don't think it was six six picks necessarily. So Virginia Tech jumps out to a twenty eight zero lead. <laughs> Miami 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 throws a hail mary at the end of the first sure. half to cut that to twenty eight. As one does. And then in the second half. Virginia Tech does this. Three and out, three and out, three and out, touchdown, three and out, touchdown. They only ran 24 plays in the second half to Miami's 48. And I think part of why Miami was able to mount this comeback was Virginia Tech's defense was just gas. Because even the touchdown drives were like four or five. They were quick, four (laughs) or five plays. So, So they just looked, at the end of the game... When Virginia Tech is struggling mightily on defense, it's like guys out of position, guys can't close. It, it definitely had that look of like, oh, you've just been out here way too long. But Virginia Tech still finishes with seven sacks. Miami still has red zone problems. Um, yeah, I, 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 this is the unfortunate thing where if Virginia Tech had let this lead slip away, but still had won by 11 or something probably fine the fact that they let it come all the way back to tied should have been trailing had Bubba Baxson not missed an extra point that would have given Miami the lead yeah yeah it was it was a game that could make you feel bad all I like the The ACC had that kind of week the wildest thing about that game is so like I watched the very end of this game um and then obviously I flipped off because Georgia Tennessee came on on ESPN so I, I we went somewhere else with the TV um because they and they ended up putting a second back on the clock and I think ESPN cut back to it but ESPN had already moved on to the next you know when they like yeah. move like they're just like mm-hmm. oh you know show the coaches post game we're going to jump you over to this right yeah. right right they did that and then had to come back because the refs put a second back on the clock for Miami at the very end um I, I, it was a mess 
That was an absolute yeah. mess. Yeah, you should, we should move on. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, Oklahoma State, I, I don't know. I, I, like, that was... So I guess Mike Gundy and Oklahoma State just kind of has this game in the tank every season, and they yeah. just decided to use it on Texas Tech. They lose to Texas Tech 45-35. to 35. Um, I, I do want to be a little bit easy on Oklahoma State here, because I will say this. And it's going to sound stupid, but if Oklahoma State doesn't spot Texas Tech 20 points, they probably win this game. <laughs> <laughs> I like, there was a, I think it was a turnover early for Oklahoma State. Texas Tech pounced on it. And then to Texas Tech's credit, Tech absolutely whipped Oklahoma State's ass in the first half up front. I mean, Texas Tech was absolutely dominating Oklahoma State's offensive line the entire first half. Um, Oklahoma State was kind of, was able to figure some stuff out rebounded and rallied and played a lot better in the second half. Um, and they obviously ended up almost coming back to, to at least make the score respectful or respectable in the end. Um, pokes. I don't know. I, I think it's reflective of the thing, you know, Godfrey and Bud have been talking about, about sort of the cul-de-sac of the big 12 yes. and the fact that <laughs> take Kansas out of it. Even West Virginia, you probably still want to like keep in here for some consideration. The delta between whoever the third best team in the in the Big Twelve is and whoever the you know eighth best team is is just not that great. It's not like you're going to see consistently that third team be you know they're they're going to beat them what six out of ten times, seven out of ten times, something like yeah. that. It's not nine or ten out of ten. Yeah. Speaking of that cul-de-sac, uh, we're going to find out. We're, we may be able to find out who the third best team in the Big Twelve is next week when Baylor plays. Uh, when Baylor plays Oklahoma State. Um, Baylor, impressive again. Got another win. Um, chugging along. We will see next week. We will see next week. That is all I'll say. Um, the other thing we'll see is uh, Red River next week. How did Texas yeah. do this week? Um, so they they forced a bunch of turnovers. They Austin Kendall threw four picks in this game. Although the game was close into the fourth quarter, and then basically Austin Kendall started pressing, making throws he shouldn't have thrown, uh, a couple acrobatic picks by Texas defenders. But other than the turnovers, he still had career-high day in passing yards, yards per attempt. And the thing that really stuck out to me from this game, and maybe it's just this game, I haven't looked at other Texas film, Texas will bite very, very hard on play action. Well, I'll, 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 I, I'll say this. Yeah. For, yeah. Okay, there, there are two, there's a two prong thing because yeah, Texas may actually be biting really hard on play action, but I will give them this. West Virginia mm. did a similar thing to NC State earlier in the season where yeah. they, where NC State by the end of the game looked like they were just ch chasing ghosts with all the motion and the shifts and, and the play action, the stuff going side to side that West Virginia was able to beat them down the field by moving defenders artificially. So that may not all be on Texas, but if it is all on Texas or mostly on Texas, we're going to find that out on Saturday against Oklahoma. I was going to say, I feel like Lincoln Riley, if, if I've noticed this, I bet Lincoln Riley has too. <laughs> that is very, very true. Uh, Red River, I, I, again, not quite sure what 
Red, what we're going into with Red River. This will be, we know what Oklahoma could do. Um, I am, let's not say worried about Oklahoma's defense, but I think the word may be interested in what will, Oklahoma's defense will yeah, do. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they will, they will have that little drought in the game somewhere where they just can't get off the field. And Texas will take advantage of that drought where it's just like, yep, we racked up two 70 yard drives. Now you got to finish those drives. That's thing one. And thing two is you're going to have to like, you're going to have to not just survive based on those periods where the Oklahoma defense looks like the old Oklahoma defense. Cause it's not going to be that way the whole game, but there will be points where it's like, Oh, an homage. That's nice. Yeah. Oh, Texas. Uh, we'll segue from Texas into Charlie Strong at USF. Look at that. Ooh. That's good radio. Um, okay. USF. USF does what they're supposed to do against UConn. They dominated UConn. They won 48 to 22. Um, they didn't do the thing where they go out to a sprint out to a lead and then UConn looks like, oh, well, they, maybe they'll come, they'll come back and make this respectable. They really didn't. UConn's not a good football team. USF won its first FBS game, uh, finally this season by doing what they're supposed to do. Jordan Cronkite, uh, was pretty good with 150 yards on the ground. Uh, Jordan McLeod, their quarterback, Still kind of working into it. Blake Barnett did not travel for this game. Um, so Jordan McLeod again starts and, um, looked okay through three touchdowns, but looked okay. Um, the, the broader context in this, and, and we wrote about this on Reddit, Banner Society, was that Charlie Strong had to have this game. USF had to have this game. Um, it's, it's not all roses, uh, in Tampa right now for that program. And if you, if, if UConn is a must win game for your program, um, you're in a bad way because that means that there is some iota of a chance that you may not beat UConn and that cannot happen. Um, but to USF's absolute credit, they rallied in that game, won what they were supposed to do. And, and, you know, if Charlie Strong, if it ends up happening later in the season, um, it, it's not going to be today, October 6th because of an embarrassing loss to UConn. And, and that's good. You know who else is definitely not getting fired? PJ Fleck, Minnesota continuing its undefeated. Uh, March. They look good. And they this probably is, look good. This is the first time they, they really put together a complete game. Their margin of victory in the first four games combined, 20 points. They beat <laughs> Illinois by 20, by 23 in this game. Um, very heavy run pass ratio, 52 runs to 17 passes. They held Illinois to 3.6 yards of play. The final score is pretty deceiving because of the 17 points the Illini scored, only three of them were by the offense. The other 14 were defensive I scores. Tell you about that Illinois defense, boy. Uh, Illinois adjusted. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Minnesota, I think, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say thumping Illinois puts you over the hump of, yes, we believe in you. Could be a get-right game. But it's a good game. indicator. It could be a get-right game. Yeah, it's a, and, and I think we needed to see that Minnesota could win a game that didn't come down to the fourth quarter and the coin flipped your way. They, the fact that they could just sort of control a game pretty much start to finish, very, very good sign for the Golden Gophers. We are, okay, so, you know, we've, we've had our fun with Illinois adjusted this season on this show by we, I guess I mean me. Um, I don't really see the path to a bowl game here. Um, Michigan and Wisconsin are in the next two weeks. Um, Purdue, maybe they can get Rutgers, maybe they can get that would get you up to four wins, and then you've got to get another two out of Michigan State, Iowa, and Northwestern. Um That feels that feels like a maybe still to me. I think it feels like forty sixty. Uh, 
you. Maybe 35-65. Boy, you got a lot of faith on that. Um, okay, let's do it. Florida-Auburn. Yeah. Um, uh, that was something. That was something. <laughs> I the, the things that I love that Florida did, I, I think Florida formationed Auburn um, and got matchups on Auburn in a way that was, frankly, pretty brilliant by on Dan Mullen and that offensive staff's account. Um, the thing that they did with three-by-one formations, basically trips to one side and a wide receiver to the backside, that wide receiver was Kyle Pitts, the tight end, that they really love and is a matchup, dis, uh, matchup, matchup advantage for the Gators. Um, that was really good. They went to him a lot in the second half, especially. And then what Freddie Swain was able to do on, on linebackers in the first half, that long touchdown is not because the, the linebacker started out in bad leverage. It's because at the top of the route stem, Freddie Swain was able to do a little shimmy shake and, and get the flip, the hips flipped of the linebacker and, and then beat him to the spot when the throw comes in. Um, I wonder about Dan Mullen running a questionably injured cow trask a million times repeatedly, in the repeatedly. <laughs> um, I wonder about the fact that Florida still did not run the ball well. If you take out the 88 yard run by P Ryan, um, which is the longest run in like 30 years for Florida, the, the run that basically seals the yes, game. Yes, the run that yeah. seals the game. Florida had 42 sack adjusted rushing yards. I mean that that. Look, each team had four turnovers. I think Florida only got like 13 points off the turnovers, too. So, again, Auburn's on scholarship, too, especially on defense. Um, on offense, and, you know, old buddy Dan Rubenstein was sitting with me, and he's been banging the Boatniks might not be too good drum all season, and he's right. I mean, I, like, Boatniks did not look good in this game. Uh, that pick he threw in the end zone could have been intercepted by two guys. I mean, that, that's not good. Um, Auburn converts twice on third down yesterday, and they had, I believe it was five third downs of four yards or less, and I think they only com uh, converted one of them, if not zero. It, it was ugly for Auburn, and I think this is the thing where you're like, okay, that's why you guys are so frustrated with just Gus Smell's on. Like, like you see it in that game. I think the, the one, maybe gloss on, on Bonix's day is that um, Auburn did not have a good, a good day rushing the football either. Like, you know, 3.6 yards of carry. Yeah. That's with sacks in there too. Um, but Whitlow's only given you 81 on 18 cam Martin, 29 yards on five carries. So like I, I they, they definitely cannot rely on Bonix to be the whole offense at this point. And the fact that they didn't have other people in that running game who could step up and help keep the Florida Schwartz defense was, a little more honest. Schwartz was yeah. absolutely non-existent yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I think it is not entire. Look, look, Bo Nix is a true freshman quarterback. He's going to have a true freshman quarterback game. This was maybe the most true freshman quarterback game, but there was not help coming from the rest of the Auburn offense. Yeah, I know. I, like, a lot of people talk about crowd noise being weird and all this kind of stuff. Bo Nix said he couldn't hear, uh, said his center couldn't hear the clap cadence. Yeah. Like, uh, look, Swamp was loud yesterday. Um, I think the important thing to remember is that Bo Nix doesn't play for Northwestern's offense, which you should not look at <laughs> under any circumstances. Coming into this weekend, they were last in FBS in yards per pass attempts at 4.4. And they were 62nd in pass attempts per game. So it's not like Northwestern's like, yeah, we know we can't pass, so we hardly ever do it. Northwestern is trying. They're just failing. 
against Nebraska, Congrats for it got worse. It got worse because they only averaged 4.3 yards per passing attempt. Like, what Northwestern can do on offense is functionally nothing. They, they, they play above their weight on the defensive side of the ball. They keep that, that, that defense keeps teams in games, keeps Nebraska, uh, Northwestern rather in games that they should not be in. I was gonna say, that defense may be doing the most work of any, like, single unit of any team. Yes. Yes, and the offense just cannot do anything in return. It's 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 almost stunning because you know they they almost take Nebraska to overtime. They lose at the last second on a field goal, but it, it just the offense cannot make any progress whatsoever. It's it's abysmal. Okay, so uh, Boston College and Louisville played a a Big Twelve game. Yeah. Um, basically, like, think of the stereotype of a Big 12 game where you see a quarterback who's just sitting in the pocket with a ton of time. The running backs are constantly making to the second level without getting touched. The coverage is blown. The angles are terrible. <laughs> the defense looks slow. Like, that was both sides of the ball in this game. Um, Louisville had 21 plays of 20-plus yards on the season coming into this game. And Boston College allowed them to have 11 in this game alone. Sure. There were just, if you go back and watch it, there are just so many times where, admittedly on both sides, but Louisville's a rebuilding program. Louisville's a team that, like, the expectations are almost none in year one, post-Petrino. Boston College is a team that you would think, like, no, they're not necessarily going to win nine games, but I think the win-loss total... um out of Vegas this year was six and a half. Bull chances feel dead after after losing to Louisville where you could not stop them when they had the ball whatsoever. Like, you cannot lose to rebuilding Louisville and Kansas and make a bull... Like, I just don't see how it's possible. And things are very, very bad for Boston College right now. Yeah, anything short of a, of a bowl game is not good for Steve Adazio. I mean, that's... No. There's no other way to paint that. Um, we will throw it back very quickly to Friday night. Uh, UCF falls to Cincinnati. I- I'm not going to spend much time here, but I will want to say Cincinnati, like in a way that I don't know if anybody has against UCF in roughly three years, maybe besides LSU, Cincinnati just like grabbed UCF by the scruff of the neck, like all night and was just like, no, you're not going anywhere. No. And it was impressive. Uh, look, like you see, uh, in the past game, Cincinnati's defense respected, um, you know, it gave, gave UCF cushion, respected what they could do over the top, um, uh, but were very, very quick to close the space, um, when, when the moment called for it. And, and they played really, really well. Um, I want to stop here for a moment to acknowledge Buffalo kicker Jackson Baltar. He had, he had a bad day. He missed a 24 yard <laughs> field goal attempt in the first quarter, he missed a 46 yard field goal attempt in the fourth quarter that could have given Buffalo the lead with a minute to play. And then in overtime, Buffalo got the ball first, scored a touchdown, and he missed the PAT. And they lost to Ohio because Ohio didn't miss the oh PAT when they had the ball. Um, the Mac East is a don't like the Mac East is a real rough place right now. Every team in the Mac East as of this recording, sub five hundred. So like Tuesday night, Maction is starting soon, right? Starts in the next like week or two. I believe so. Yeah. Um uh, Toledo, Toledo's worth watching. Toledo, you should you should make time for. Good luck watching those games. 
Yeah. Uh, sure. Um, let's, Missouri, Missouri cruised against Troy, but, uh, Kelly Bryant's knee is something to watch. A late touch, not a late touchdown, but, uh, you know, Mizzou is cruising. Um, and Kelly Bryant's throwing a pass in the red zone and a hit comes into the knee, um, late, but not egregiously late, but the ball was out of Kelly Bryant's hand when, when the, when the hit came on his knee. Um, like, Tra- like Kyle Trask, Kelly Bryant, showed yesterday that knees are just anatomically stupid because Kelly Bryant came back in that game with uh, back to the field in that game with crutches didn't look great um but hopefully it's just a precaution because they were sitting out for the rest of the game from what it sounded like it didn't sound awful um the tenor of Missouri in their post-game interviews and such and the same with Kyle Trask I mean Kyle Trask had that ugly ugly uh hit on his knee um mm-hmm. uh, you know on offensive lineman kind of pushed a defender into him um, and then he came back and, and finished the game out. So I don't know. Knees are dumb. That's really all I have there. Yeah, we're medical experts. Um, I have nothing that smart to say about Georgia State other than to say that in their win over Arkansas State, they ran 99 plays and finished with 722 yards of offense. If you finish with 722 yards of offense, yeah, we're going to talk about you. Uh, Cal and Oregon. Oregon outlasts Cal, I guess. Um, look, man, Cal's defense is what you thought it was. Um, Cal, we, we talked on the show on Thursday, the, the tasting menu show, that Cal's center was going to be really important here to what Cal's offense was going to try to do. And then, unfortunately, he goes down hurt in, like, the second quarter of that game. So the interior of Cal's offensive line, completely different. Um, Cal's got a different quarterback in Modster who is a UCLA transfer, um, it it was ugly for Cal. They were not ever able to really take advantage of the breaks that they had that the defense gave them. Um, but Cal's defense made Justin Herbert look not great um, in that game. And, and I think for Oregon to win that game, I think it shows that Oregon will gut you out grind you out, and they can play that mucky, dirty, nasty type of game that I think Mario Cristobal wants to win. They can win in multiple ways. They don't need to They don't need to just win traditional Oregon-style football. Yeah, and I think that is, that's that's the program that I think Mario Cristobal's trying to build there, and so I think that is a little bit of proof of concept. Uh, look good. Um, I'm going to close it out with a quick shout-out to San Diego State defender Luke Barku. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, who picked off Colorado State on three consecutive defensive snaps, starting with five minutes left in the third quarter. San Diego State's defense just continues to be really, really good. They're eighth in the nation in yards per play, eighth in tackles for loss per game, 11th in 20-plus yards plays allowed. They've only allowed four touchdowns in the red zone on 11 possessions. Like, the offense is, I mean, look, we've talked about, we just talked about Cal. The offense is not always there. But they're happy to win a game 17 to 6. San Diego State will take that every day. Every day. Boom. 30 minutes on the nose. Ryan Annie, thank you for joining me. The old man will be back later this week.